Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast. I'm joined in the studio by Andy Robb. And, uh, hey, Andy, we've got a hint of what today's show is. I'm going to have you do the voice that goes oh. with this. Oh, you, Go okay. ahead. You're, yeah. you're going to do the voice. On today's AccuWeather Podcast, <laughs> we discuss forensic meteorology <laughs> with special guest Dr. Joe Sobel. And his Forensic Files. Exactly. He appeared on Forensic Files. It's going to be awesome. He did. He And, and uh, forensic meteorology, it's used to solve crimes and it's used in civil cases, so we're going to be talking to him about what it is and some of his experiences, including that episode and that particular story. It was, it was actually a murder case, so very yeah. interesting. Um, also, in our second segment today, mm-hmm. we are talking about Lightning Safety Week. That's right. Lightning Safety Awareness Week is actually June 24th through the 30th, uh, so we're going to be talking with uh, meteorologist Alex Zaznowski about lightning and right. about uh, some maybe some myths or facts about lightning and also how to keep yourself safe. Right. Well, we'll find out how much or how little you really know based on maybe what, you know, your grandparents told you or what people told you about lightning, whether it's myth or truth. So we have that coming up. Stay tuned. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Well, I'm sitting in the studio now with AccuWeather Senior Vice President, Dr. Joe Sobel, and uh, forensic meteorologist. And I am so fascinated by your line of work. And one of the questions, Andy, uh, my producer, and I were talking about that everybody has is, what is forensic meteorology? Well, that's a good question, and uh, we all get that a lot. And that's part of our job is educating people as to what a forensic meteorologist is. You know, forensic sciences are real hot these days. CSI this and CSI that. For folks who are in my age demographic, um, Quincy uh, was a television show way, way back uh, about a a forensic uh, pathologist. Wait a second. Let me see if I can remember who was in that. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Ah, Jack. Black? Jack Klugman. Very good. Andy, yeah, that's a, Andy right. is my like pop culture and then old. Um, it, it's funny. He doesn't TV look a guy. day over 65. So <laughs> I'm surprised he remembers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, but uh, the forensic sciences are real popular these days. And we do essentially the same thing that, say, a, a pathologist does. We go back through the historical weather records to try to determine what happened what the weather was at some particular time and place in the past, and what impact it might have been. If there was ice on the ground, how long had it been there? Uh, Did a property owner have enough time after a storm stopped to clear sidewalks and plow parking lots and answer those kinds of questions? We're also involved in in aviation cases and marine accidents. So anywhere, any kind of a case in which weather might be an issue, maybe there's uh, some contentiousness, disagreement about what the weather was or maybe we just don't know 
And so uh, those are the kinds of things that a forensic meteorologist would do. Okay, so it's often in either criminal, civil cases that they'll call upon you. Much more frequently in civil cases than in criminal cases, but every now and then we do get involved in in a criminal case as well. Now, I don't want to date you or give the people (laughs) your exact age, but when did you get started in this, and was it something that was hot at the time that you came into working in meteorology, or did this kind of evolve for you? Well, it was way back before the turn of the century. (laughs) You know, it, so it goes way so they back. called you in shortly after Civil War. <laughs> Something I'm like I'm that. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Joel Myers, who's uh, the president of AccuWeather, initially did some of this work back in the 1960s. And I came along in the uh, early to mid-1970s. And I started getting involved with it and, and gradually became more and more of my focus. And Joel had less and less to, to do with it. So it's not something that's just started within the last five or ten years. Uh, we've been doing that here at AccuWeather uh, for uh, 40 plus years now. You were featured on an episode of Forensic Files. I'm one of those criminal show buffs. I love them. <laughs> and so I'm going to uh, kind of set this up because there was a murder case in Pennsylvania that was featured on this episode of Forensic Files. Right. And the husband's alibi uh, sounded kind of sketchy. So I'm going to play a clip real quick. But the police video taken on the morning of the murder shows that Glenn Wilsifer's car in the driveway was not covered with dew, yet his wife's car was. To help sort out the discrepancy, police called in a forensic meteorologist, Dr. Joseph Sobel, who studied the weather patterns on the night of the murder. Okay, so what happened in this case, and what was your role? Well, uh, the reason this raised a red flag to the police, the uh, Glenn Bulsifer, who was the husband in this case and was a a dentist in the area, uh, when he called the police out uh, the next morning, he said, well, my wife and I were home together all night long. And uh, we went to bed, and uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. I heard a a prowler. I heard a disturbance, and I got up and looked around, and the uh, prowler knocked me on the head, knocked me unconscious. And when I woke up, I found next to me was my wife who had been murdered and strangled. The point being, though, that they were home together that night. If they had been, then both cars would have been in the driveway for the same length of time, and they both uh, either would have had due or not have due. So the difference between the husband's car not having due and the wife's car having due raised a red flag uh, for the police, which I think was a pretty tremendous piece of uh, police work. Yeah, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing on their part to even say, wait a second, we need to call in a forensic meteorologist because this looks weird. Right. Right. And there was another issue also uh, in that same episode with the ladder or something, right? Right. What uh, what the dentist claimed, Glenn claimed that uh, the uh, intruder had taken a ladder from a shed, from a tool shed that was in the back of the house, propped it against the side of the house, and used that to break into the, the, the side room, the guest room. Uh, and uh, that's how the intruder gained entry into the, into the home. The police realized that 
if the intruder really had taken that ladder, they would have, he would have had to have carried it across the lawn. And if it was a uh, night that was prone to the formation of dew, then there would have been some uh, residue of water uh, from the dew on the ladder, on the windowsill, somewhere within the room that the intruder had allegedly broken into, and they found none of that. So oh. that again raised the red flag. So our job was to go back through the weather records uh, using the surface weather observations of temperature, humidity, wind, the location of the, uh, of the murder, which was uh, just within a couple of blocks of the Susquehanna uh, River. It was an August night. It was clear with light winds, very high humidity, and it was the kind of night which would have been perfect to the formation of, of a very heavy dew. Oh, very interesting. So just out of curiosity, then, was he found guilty? He was found guilty. Oh. Yes, okay. he was found guilty, and I actually had to go testify at a trial in this case, which is something that we do. Uh, we can supply raw data to uh, an attorney or whoever might ask for it, and the next step would then be to uh, go back through the weather records, give them a verbal report, if necessary, a written report, and then if the case actually goes to trial, we can appear as an expert witness to justify and explain our findings to the jury. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And just a reminder, we're speaking to AccuWeather Senior Vice President Dr. Joe Sobel about forensic meteorology. What are some of the... Is there any weird cases that you were ever involved in? There are a lot of weird cases (laughs) that we've been involved in. Um, most of the cases that we talk about are, are that we work on are slip and falls, where somebody slips on an icy patch, and then the question becomes how long it had been there. Uh, were weather conditions favorable for cleanup operations and that kind of thing? But one of the oddball cases we were involved in was a divorce case, mm-hmm. and you might ask, well, now what the heck could weather have to do with a divorce? Yeah, right. What would it? What the heck? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to ask you, Doctor <laughs> Joe. What the heck? <laughs> well, uh, obviously. Obviously, in this case, this couple was not getting along, and one day, she threw him out of the house. Okay. And not only did she throw him out of the house, she took all of his stuff and threw it out in the backyard, clothing, electronic equipment, books, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then it rained that night, and all all of his stuff was damaged or completely ruined and destroyed. Okay. At least that's what she claimed. Uh, the husband's attorney kind of smelled something fishy here and called us up to determine and go back through the weather records and determine how much it rained, when did it rain, and answer those kinds of questions. Well, as it, uh, <laughs> bump, bump, uh, as, it, as it turned out, it did not rain a drop that night. She had literally hosed him. L- l- hosed down his... She <gasps> took the backyard hose and hosed down all of his stuff and then claimed that it had rained. Oh, and wow. so that was pretty clever of the uh, husband's attorney to, to think of that. Now, I'm not going to tell you we've been involved in a lot of divorce cases over the years, but uh, that is one that was very, very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and also, I was going to ask you, uh, what's what's the greatest piece of advice? Because I would imagine with all these shows um, coming up, like, you know, with the, the CSI and uh, those kind of shows, that you probably have a lot of people wanting to come into the field. What would be your 
greatest piece of advice to somebody who either is new entering the field or is wanting to come into this field? Well, I, I can say there are two basic principles that we work on and, and uh, always have in our minds. And one is that we as forensic meteorologists are not advocates. We may work for the plaintiff or we may work for the defendant, but uh, our job is to objectively, as scientists, go back through the historical weather information and determine the fact, the truth of what actually happened. If it helps the client, the person that hired us, terrific. If it doesn't help them, well, that's still important information for them to know. And the second thing we always, always keep in mind is never stray from your area of expertise. Okay. And uh, attorneys are always going to want you to say what they want to hear. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. Because yeah. if they're hiring you, they're like, they just want you to really support what they have to say. Right. And so uh, I can answer any question as it, it pertains to weather, uh, but uh, they'll try to get you to stretch it. For instance, if a tree blows down and, uh, let's say, hits a car and there's a serious injury or uh, if an unfortunate fatality, we can go back through the weather records and say the wind at that time and at that place blew from this direction at this speed for this length of time, and this kind of a wind in this particular place happens X number of times a year over a long period of time. Uh, fine, we can answer all of those meteorological questions. But if I'm asked, Dr. Sobel, did the wind blow that tree down on that day in particular? I can't answer that. I don't know. Uh, was the tree diseased? Was the tree healthy? Uh, right, is, there's another, a bunch of other factors that right. go uh, into that. Was it in leaf? Was it in full leaf or not? Uh, some trees are more susceptible because they have shallower root systems than other trees. So I can say, well, an X mile per hour, say a 50 mile per hour wind can produce uh, tree damage, can, can crack some limbs, can uproot some trees. But did that wind on that date blow down that tree? You need other people to come in and express opinions on that. Is the demand for this career increasing? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting field in that uh, in, in our particular area, it goes in tremendous cycles. There'll be times that we uh, that the phone is ringing off the hook and we can't keep up. And then we may go two or three or four weeks at a time and the phone hardly rings at all. And in the 40 plus years that I've been doing this, we've never, ever, ever figured out what causes those cycles. If there's a snowy winter in a particular part of the country, uh, that will usually translate to, a, to some business for us, but not right away. It takes usually two or three years for the case to go through the system before somebody actually realizes they may need a forensic meteorologist. Let's put it like this in terms of somebody who might be interested in getting into uh, this particular uh, niche. We are a litigious civilization, uh, and that's probably not going to change. Possibly more so than ever <laughs> Maybe before. more so. And it's not going to change. That's not going to change. And so I would think there would always be a need for this kind of expertise and for this kind of information. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me today. My pleasure. And I'm sure we'll have Dr. Joe Sobel on again because he's got some great cases that he's going to uh, discuss with us. Yeah, incredibly interesting stories and some kind of cases that y you wouldn't expect weather to play a factor in. And of course, if you're interested in actually checking out the episode of Forensic Files that our very own Dr. Joe Sobel appeared in, you can find it on YouTube, the uh, appropriately titled 
due process. Right. Spelled D E W. <laughs> right, exactly. I love it. I know, I do too. And uh, before we get to our next guest, uh, Alex Sosnowski, uh, about lightning safety, we just want to remind you that you can find our AccuWeather podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Go on there, give a review, and also, uh, if you have a show suggestion, give it to us. We'd love to hear it. You can just email us, accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Well, my next topic is Lightning Safety Awareness Week, and I'm joined now in the studio by Alex Sosnowski. He's an AccuWeather meteorologist. And you know what I thought was interesting is Andy told me before you sat down here that you used to do forensic meteorology as well. That's correct. Uh, I started uh, forensic meteorology back in the mid-90s, and uh, I was doing that till about 2010 where I wanted to uh, break away from that again and devote more time to uh, writing for our website to try to keep people informed that way. But yeah. uh, it was it was a, a huge success for me. Uh, I helped a lot of people uh, trying to get the weather facts straight. And I work with some of the best people in the business, uh, Dr. Joe Sobel, uh, Ed Adams, and Steve Wistar. So they're, they're at the top of their field in that. And uh, I much appreciate uh, uh, their insight uh, during those 15 years that I was with forensics. Right. It was a great conversation we had with Dr. Joe Sobel. And right now, uh, you know, the thing we're talking about currently is Lightning Safety Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the statistics that people need to know about uh, lightning? Well, the interesting thing about lightning is uh, there's no 100% safe place to be during a thunderstorm. There are places that are much, much safer, those being in a, in a solid constructed house or building and also your vehicle uh, for reasons we'll get into here shortly. Uh, but there's no 100% safe place. If you consider that the, that the power that uh, a lightning strike packs, uh, your chances of surviving a direct hit uh, if you're out in the open or, or are very small, but some people do survive, and there's some there's some preventive measures that you can do even when you're out in the open. It's a matter of uh, uh, the place that you choose to weather a storm, even if you're out in the open, could save your life. You know, I thought that it would be interesting to kind of test our information, what we know about lightning safety, by doing a, a little quiz of mm-hmm. uh, factor myth. So I'm going to throw a couple things at you. You tell okay. me if it's a factor myth. Okay, if it isn't raining yet and the sky's still blue, mm-hmm. you can't be struck by lightning. Well, that's not true. Uh, on average, uh, lightning can strike 10 miles away from the parent thunderstorm. Uh, that's the standard by which we warn people to seek shelter. Uh, if the thunderstorm is 10 miles away, yes, you can be hit. But there have been some instances where lightning has actually uh, struck Uh, more than 20 miles away. It's extremely rare, but it has occurred. That's why as soon as you hear a clap of thunder, or if you don't hear uh, the thunder, if you see a flash of lightning, you need to move indoors, uh, shelter as soon as possible. Is that that's kind of a boat out of the blue, that's right? The and that's the extreme that case. But right. on average, it's about ten miles away. Lightning can reach out from a thunderstorm, oh, okay. and there's no way to tell where the lightning is going to strike. Yes, there's some truth with uh, your hair standing up. Uh, there is there is definitely a charge being drawn through the atmosphere there, but there's no guarantee that that's that's a sign that you're going to be hit by lightning. And, uh, and also, if that's not occurring, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be hit by lightning. If you're out in the open, if you can hear thunder, if you can see the flash of lightning, you can be hit. Okay. The next one um, is you're completely safe in a house. Now, I think you kind of said 
that that's one of the best 100%. places to be. Right. It really is, and it's because of the uh, the framework of, of the of the construction. You have metal wiring. You have uh, pipes in the house, which are all grounded. So you basically have a, a solid cage around you. Uh, but if you're near a window, if you're near water, you're washing dishes, you're in the shower, uh, you're uh, you're on a corded uh, device, a phone, or even if that device you have it, you're charging your phone and it's plugged into the wall. Uh, there's some risk there. You don't want to be running any appliances like running the vacuum cleaner during a thunderstorm to kind of drown out the sound because you're holding an electrical device. Uh, and that current, uh, if your house gets hit directly, uh, that current can travel through uh, those lines and you could be electrocuted. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and while we're on that subject, really the best method to uh, preserve electronic devices during a thunderstorm is to unplug them. Uh, that includes the cables from your cable system and also the cables for your satellite dish. If a direct uh, bolt hits your house, there's a good chance, even with the protective circuitry, that you're going to lose those devices. Right. And, I, you know, my husband my kids used to, like, always laugh at me because I, they didn't take it seriously because I would be like, don't take a shower now. Or my husband would start doing something like sitting down and typing, at the, you know, the computer or somebody picking up the phone. I'm like, no, don't do that. And they're like, you're worrying about nothing, Mom. And I'm like, no, seriously. So uh, the next one is uh, myth or fact the safest place to be during a lightning storm is in a car because of the rubber tires. Well, a car is one of the safest places to be during a thunderstorm in terms of lightning. Uh, uh, there are some, some issues there. Uh, if, if there's torrential rain and you're parked in a low-lying area, you could be prone to flash flooding. Uh, if there's large hail in the vicinity, that could do, it could bust the windows in the car. Uh, but it's not because of the rubber tires. So that would that part of it is a myth about Correct. the rubber tires. Correct. The rubber tires, uh, to some extent, actually insulate the car from the ground, but it's the metal cage in the car that protects you. The same token, though, if you're touching something metal in the car when the bolt hits, there's that chance that you could uh, be electrocuted. But a car is one of the safest places to be in terms of uh, a lightning strike. Okay, so if I understand correctly, the metal framework of the car Protects basically you. absorbs that exactly. charge and takes it Exactly. To the it's, it's like being on an ocean liner, a big ocean liner, a big metal ocean liner. It's that massive hunk of metal that, that's absorbing uh, the electrical charge, even though you're on the water, which is a conductor of electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that big metal cage around you, but you don't want to be out in the open. Uh, convertibles don't count. Motorcycles don't count. Uh, the same token, the golf carts, that doesn't count. That's not a safe place to be during a thunderstorm. A hardtop metal, metal vehicle, whether it's a car or truck, uh, is one of the safest places to be. Okay, so just not because of the tires. Exactly. So uh, what about this one? Lightning doesn't strike in the same location twice, myth or fact? Uh, that is a myth. Uh, just an example, the uh, Empire State Building sometimes in New York City, which is one of the, one of the tallest buildings in New York City, uh, is often hit multiple times during a single thunderstorm. Oh, wow. And, and can be hit many times during the year. Uh, during the summer season during thunderstorms. So, no, that's not true. We're talking to Alex Sosnowski, AccuWeather Meteorologist, about Lightning Safety Awareness Week. That's June 24th through the 30th. 
another one here uh myth or fact the safest thing to do when caught outside in a storm is to lay flat on the ground so that you're low to the surface there's some bit of truth to that so but no and that's not what you want to do what the the plan is is to make yourself as small a target as possible uh, the chance of you getting hit directly by lightning are small to begin with uh, but if lightning hits the ground within so many feet of you and you're laying flat, you have a much better chance of being affected by that electrical shock. So more of your surface area is actually contacting the ground. Contacting you the want ground. to get low, absolutely, but the best thing to do is get crunched down into a ball with feet close together as you can uh, and stand uh, on the balls of your feet. Again, close together. You want to make yourself as small as target as you can and basically assume the cannonball position. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that does is it reduces the, uh, the risk that you're going to get severe burns over a large part of your body. Right. And when I've seen pictures of this, you're basically just kind of up on your tippy toes a little yeah, bit. That's just a, to, so very little and area that's a last actually, resort. Yeah, because I was going to say you, that would be if You don't want to be out in the nothing. open if you can all help it. And, and while we're on that subject, being out in the open, a serious problem in the Rocky Mountains in the summer times is uh, a danger is to hikers. What happens is uh, they start off their day. It's a beautiful sunny day when they get up, and they want to hike this mountain. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's priority. They may only have a few days there. So they start hiking first thing in the morning, bright and sunny, and then they get halfway up the slope. Uh, say during the mid-morning hours and there's puffy clouds around, they're not paying much attention to it. Uh, they get up to the peak uh, during the afternoon, but all of a sudden there's all these big buildups and towering cumulus going around and it starts thundering and lightning. Uh, it's really too late. The chance of getting hit by lightning at that stage is incredibly high, and the best thing people can do in that case is to try to move down as far, the, as, far as they can uh, on the mountainside as they can, uh, get to a thick forested area, uh, there's been accounts, though, where people have been trapped on the ridge, you know, a, a treeless, shrubless ridge, uh, bolts flying all over the place, uh, uh, and, and when the bolts are hitting the, striking the top of the mountain, they're, they're, they're getting showered with rocks because these bolts are so intense. They're uh, just and, breaking and apart the top well, of yeah, the mountain. Yeah, literally, yeah. So at that point, it's almost too late, and you have to assume that, that crouch position, as we talked about. Uh, but the best thing to do is don't have hard, stead plans uh, in that case. Keep looking at your surroundings, and maybe you only hike halfway up the mountain that day. You need to work your way back down if you start seeing a lot of buildups going on. Now, if it's still sunny, say, by, you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you're on the summit, you're probably okay. Uh, but uh, if you start seeing a lot of buildups, that's the time to start heading, you know, stop what you're doing and head back down. Right, and, you know, uh, the other thing about that is if they have, like, a radar on their phone, like AccuWeather has the app that has the radar, and they you have, can they watch have to keep that. an eye on that. Yes, uh, you know, lightning detector as well. But uh, conditions can change drastically in a matter of minutes over the Rockies uh, during the middle of the afternoon. Go from puffy clouds to towering cumulus clouds that are producing uh, lightning uh, very, very fast, and you do not want to be on the ridges. In fact, uh, an interesting stat here: uh, per population, Wyoming is. Uh, is the is the is the worst state uh, for lightning uh, fatalities because of the low population what happens is everybody migrates there for summer vacation in uh, during July and August they go up in the mountains and they hike but they're not trained on what to do when thunderstorms build up 
and a lot of people get killed because of that or severely injured. Uh, you wouldn't think of Wyoming being no, you know, a big state right. for that, but it is, it is one of the worst uh, because of that summertime vacation idea, the hiking and, and the summer thunderstorms that are there. Uh, most of the storms tend to occur during the summer months in Wyoming, whereas they're year-round around the Gulf Coast. If, an, if a person is struck by lightning, you shouldn't touch them because you could be electrocuted? That's not true. Um, the, the body doesn't act like a battery and absorb and, and, and maintain the electrical charge. Uh, if, if, if that happens and uh, a person close by has been struck by lightning, you can immediately offer medical assistance to them. Uh, you're not going to be injured in any way by, by, by touching a person who's been uh, just hit by lightning. Okay. And uh, we were talking about the heat lightning myth because I actually uh, grew up one of my on a favorite. farm. I know. And, and, and you may have heard this when I was a kid. On a warm summer evening, you'd be sitting there. In the distance, you would see like a flash. And and I remember my mom telling me, oh, that's heat lightning. It's because it's so warm, you know. And that that's... <laughs> That's not true, is it? <laughs> no, it, there's, 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 in that aspect, no. Now, the warmth is probably helping to fuel thunderstorms, but you can see a flash uh, from lightning 100 miles away uh, during nighttime sky. And all that really is is just a flash from a distant thunderstorm. Uh, you won't hear the thunder because sound doesn't travel that far. Uh, but I, I think somewhere along the line, that that type of lightning was was originally called sheet lightning, and maybe it got twisted somehow. Uh, you know how rumors changed, get started, yeah. you know, heat lightning. But no, the atmosphere doesn't get hot enough where it just just this lightning just occurs. It doesn't work that way. It's caused by a distant thunderstorm. What about the idea of counting between thunder and lightning strikes to know how far a storm is? Is there any accuracy in that? Yeah, that's an actually a, a very good way to figure out how far away uh, lightning really is. Uh, the speed of sound, uh, 1,100 feet per second. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's how much the sound is going to travel. And we know that a mile is about 5,300 feet. So basically five seconds is a good measure. If you, if, you, if you see a flash of lightning, you count 1,001, 1,002 to five, and, and, and you hit five seconds, that strike is going to be five miles away, roughly. Oh. But, it, but that's good enough to, to tell you that you need to seek shelter immediately. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the speed of sound is about 1,100 feet per second, and the mile is about 5,300 feet. Uh, so simple math there. It'll give you a good idea as to how far away the lightning is. That's, that's a good measure. Okay. So final thoughts for safety, final kind of summary you want people to take away from this interview. Well, again, the first clap of thunder, the first you know, visual lightning strike, if, if you don't hear that, uh, maybe there's some other noise going on at the time, uh, you need to seek shelter and, and don't take any chances. Um, there's one reason why you know, more men are hit by lightning than, than women is because men tend to take more chances. Uh, maybe the maybe the the fearless factor, uh, but believe me, uh, you don't want to be standing on the front porch watching the storm, you know, out in the open somewhere, gazing at it in the yard. Yes, we're all fascinated by it, but you need to get indoors. Uh, home is a good place to be. A solid building, uh, a car is a very good option. Uh, picnic pavilions, not a good choice. Too much open space there. Golf carts, absolutely not. Definitely, definitely don't stand under a single tree or a small group of trees. Those are the tallest objects in the area, and chances are lightning is going to hit that. A thick forest, if you're out camping, is not a bad choice as long as you're not on the, uh, the tallest stand of trees on top of a ridge. Get down in a low-lying area. Thick forested area is not a bad option if you can't get to a vehicle. Right.
Thank you so much for uh, talking to us about this, Alex. My pleasure. And you can find all of Alex's safety tips by going to AccuWeather.com slash ready. Yeah, and also on AccuWeather.com, you can find tons of great articles that Alex has written about many aspects of the weather. And, of course, he also does uh, some video appearances with our Facebook Live. Right. And you know what? Next week, Andy, is is really kind of a big deal because you keep telling me this is such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I'm teasing you, but it's our 10th episode. 10 shows Can we've done. Can I get done. some cheers Woo! in the room? There we go. Woo! We actually have a studio audience today. We do. It's actually Ken, our boss. <laughs> but we make him cheer. So anyway, yes, it is our 10th episode, yeah. and it's an exciting one. We've got something real special lined up. Of course, uh, we're going to go storm chasing. Right! We are stormed. Not actually us. No. <laughs> but we are living vicariously through Reed Timmer. Yes. He's our extreme meteorologist. He is the storm chaser here for the AccuWeather Network, and uh, we're going to sit down and talk to him about uh, his life and how close maybe it. Uh, compares to, you know, we did that episode about weather in the movies. And yeah, Twister. yeah, episode so, six. Go right. back and check that one out. Right, so I want to find out how close it compares. So that's coming up next week, so make sure to tune in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.